Johnson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So last night, the Bucks were in action. They smoked the Knicks. I guess we all saw that coming, right? God, the Knicks are bad. I don't understand it. They are terrible. That game was over in the first quarter. The Brewers had their tender deadline last night, so almost like a a deadline where if they don't pay guys, they become free agents. That's the easiest way to explain baseball, which is a terribly complicated, confusing sport. The Brewers had a deadline last night. The Bucks played last night, and I want to talk about both of those things. But first, I want to start with a Monday night game. The, the NFL has been so awesome this year. I, I don't know what it was. Last year, I, I just wasn't into it as much. Maybe it was because the Packers weren't competing. I don't know. But, but I feel like even the games that the Packers aren't playing in or that the Packers are losing this year, I am fascinated. I cannot stop watching the NFL. This season has been so great. And the NFC has been so great, and the AFC is starting to get really, really good, too. At the beginning of the year, it looked like Patriots, Chiefs, and everybody else. Now the AFC is rounding into form, and we have six really, really good teams in the NFC. The Vikings and the Seahawks, each one of them. Each a part of the playoff picture. They played last night. It was a really, really good Monday night football game. I want to start there. And, and like I said, we're going to get uh, to the Brewers. We're going to get to the Bucks. We're going to talk Badgers with Zach Heilprin, our, our, our Badger guy from the zone in Madison, coming up at 530. We're going to cover all that. But I want to start with what happened last night, especially because it directly pertains to the Packers. And that's what we do here on the Wisco Sports Show, right? We talk about Wisconsin sports teams. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. Uh, like I said, we're going to cover it all today. But I want to start. I, I want to start with last night's game because it was great. The Seahawks ended up winning 37-30, and as Packer fans, we were kind of conflicted, right? We're like, well, you always want to see the Vikings lose, and the Packers do need to beat the Vikings to, to win the division eventually, but thinking about seeding here with only a handful of games left, well, would you rather play at U.S. Bank? Would you rather go to Seattle? It's a pick-your-poison type of night. Now, I'm always going to fall back on win your division, worry about the rest later, always cheer for your rivals to lose, worry about the rest later, and, and that's the way that it went last night. I'm about to give the Minnesota Vikings the biggest backhanded compliment possible, right? I, I was actually really impressed by what the Vikings did last night. And I need to give them a lot of credit because they I, they were closer than I thought they were going to be last night. I thought last night was going to be a Kirk Cousins game where he he barely... Like Aaron Rodgers against the 49ers a couple weeks ago. That's what I thought Kirk Cousins was going to show up and, and be like last night. One of those games where the moment is just too big, the lights are too bright, and he shrinks into his shell, and his team doesn't have a chance from the get-go. And it's been a while since we've had one of those Kirk Cousins games, so I thought he was due last night, and it didn't turn out to be the case. And like I said, this is it sounds like I'm complimenting the Vikings. Don't worry, it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn around, and it's going to be a backhanded compliment by the end. But stick with me, it'll, it'll make sense. The Vikings last night had the perfect game plan. If you watched this game, when the Vikings were on offense, they always seemed to have guys open. They were running the right plays, right? Kirk Cousins was seeing the right reads, making the right plays, the right throws. They had it together last night. They had the perfect game plan to be in that environment, to play against that team, and to manage their quarterback, Kirk Cousins, especially with Adam Thielen out, and then Dalvin Cook getting injured as well. It was it was perfect. It was perfect. Short passes, checkdowns. It was very, you know what it was? It was very Tom Brady, um, Josh McDaniels. And I say that as a compliment, Right. They always seem to have a guy come open. The check down always seems to be there. The shallow cross is always there. And Kirk Cousins took some shots down the field, too. I'm not saying they were limited. I'm not saying they were playing scared. But they had a game plan. They knew who was going to be open, and they got him the ball. 
right? And and because of that, they hung in with the Seahawks, and they eventually made this comeback in the fourth quarter uh, to only lose by seven, right? The Seahawks kicked a field goal at the end after it had almost been kind of put out of reach. So it was close, right? They were right there. Very Brady McDaniels last night. It, it had that feel. Great pass-catching running back, a reliable wide receiver, and everything else you can kind of figure out, right? Kirk Cousins played really well. In fact... I know Russell Wilson gets all the credit, and he's the one in the MVP conversation to knock Kirk Cousins. Look at the stat lines last night. Kirk Cousins, 22 of 38, 276 yards, two touchdowns a pick. That's two more completions than Russell Wilson. That's 26 more yards than Russell Wilson, and the same amount of touchdowns and interceptions. I actually thought that the Vikings were more reliant on Kirk Cousins last night than Seattle was on Russell Wilson. Seattle ran the ball last night. They ran the ball. handoff left, handoff right. Rashad Penny, Chris Carson. Russell Wilson didn't have to do a whole lot. Kirk Cousins putting up more yardage, more completions, and the same amount of touchdowns and interceptions. Which you don't expect, right? Russell Wilson playing at home, you expect him to go off for 350? No, Kirk Cousins was right there, played really, really well. And I thought the coaching was really good. You saw shots of of Mike Zimmer on the sideline. He looked composed. He looked engaged. He, he looked like, like he believed in his heart that they were going to win that game, right? He looked in place. Compare that to Matt LaFleur. Right, two weeks ago in San Fran, he looked like a deer in the headlights. Right, he looked like, oh, shoot, this game plan isn't going to work. Right? The coaching, Stefanski Zimmer looked in place last night. Kirk Cousins looked comfortable, was hitting his reads, was making his throws. The throws that were supposed to be open, they were open, they were there, and they were converting, and they were running the football as well. All that being said, it wasn't enough. The Vikings played really, really, really good last night. You watched that game and you said, wow, well coached. They're buttoned up. They're disciplined. They can run the ball. They're, 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 they're effective and efficient on offense. They looked really talented, really fast, really athletic. And they still lost. And I get Seattle's a tough place to play, right? Seattle had a couple people out with the flu as well. Like there were a lot of, it's Monday night. There are a lot of extenuating circumstances surrounding this game. But the Vikings, I thought last night, did everything right. The coaching was there. The quarterback play was there. Xavier Rhodes, unfortunately, he was he was not there. But but for the most part, they did just about everything right, and they still lost. And they were actually getting blown out in the fourth quarter before they came back to make it interesting. At one point uh, in the fourth quarter, it was 34-17 before Minnesota started to bring it closer. Now, I, I think this whole thing is a, is a backhanded compliment. It, it's it's I, I'm down on the Vikings because they did play so well, and they looked so good, and they still lost. It's almost a detriment to them to see them play that well, be coached that well, be that effective, right? They went for it on fourth down, which I thought was the right call at the end of the game, and they still lost. I don't know if they have a better game in them than that. Now they're going to get Adam Thielen back, right? And hopefully Dalvin Cook gets healthy, but injuries are a part of things. Week to week, you're going to be without a guy here and there. A guy's going to get dinged up mid-game. That's just the nature of football. The Seahawks were without Tyler Lockett for the most part. He had the flu and he was a non-factor last night, right? The Vikings played that well. They had the perfect game plan, they executed it, and they still couldn't win. Now, I understand Seattle's a difficult place to play, and that's a tough environment and a tough game to try to judge a team on. But, let's be realistic about the Vikings here. They're now 8-4, and four, and they're a full game behind the Packers. Right now, all the Packers have to do is beat the teams who aren't the Minnesota Vikings on the way out. They're going to be favored against Washington, Chicago, and Detroit. Win those games, and you can lose up at U.S. Bank Stadium and still win the division. Right, Minnesota, most likely, and things could happen, and we're, we're going to talk about the NFC playoff picture coming up in a few minutes, but as it looks right now, as things are developing, Minnesota is going to be a wild card team. Now, 
That doesn't mean they're worse than some of the division champs. It's not a bad thing to be a wildcard team, but it brings with it some challenging circumstances. You're going to have to play on that first weekend. You're not going to have a first-round bye, and you're going to have to go on the road to a place like Seattle, where last night, even though I, th- I thought they brought their best effort, and, and they got the benefit of a fluky play, a Russell Wilson interception, a pick six, it still wasn't enough. So that, that's my backhanded compliment. Yes, the Vikings played well, and Mike Zimmer looked into it, and Kirk Cousins, I, I thought Kirk Cousins was great last night. Once again, very Brady McDaniels. Hitting checkdowns, hitting the crossing routes, hitting the reads, hitting the receivers who are schemed open, which is something the Packers don't do. I've never looked at the Aaron Rodgers and McCarthy or LaFleur the last couple of years and said, wow, that reminded me of Brady and, and, and McDaniels. Because they make everything difficult. Right? The Vikings weren't making things difficult last night. I thought they brought the perfect game plan. They looked composed. They were in it. And they still couldn't win. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And I think the Vikings are going to be a victim of a really, really deep NFC this year. Where in the first round, and it looks like they're going to be playing on Wild Card Weekend, and the Packers might be too, but as a division champ at home, it looks like the Vikings are probably going to play that opening weekend and they're going to have to go on the road. And they're going to have to win in a place like Seattle or, 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 or New Orleans or Green Bay at some point. And I don't know. I, I think last night was about as good as you can expect Kirk Cousins to play in a game of that magnitude, and it still wasn't enough. Really, really interesting. I want to take a look at the NFC playoff picture because it's coming into focus. It's coming into focus. It, it was muddy a couple of weeks ago. And look, there's still a lot of flexibility in the seating, but I think we have our six teams. I think we have the six best teams in the NFC, and they're all currently in spots to make the playoffs. The AFC, eh, who cares, right? We're Vikings fans, we're Packers fans, we're Bears fans here. Let's talk about the NFC coming up. We're also going to talk Badgers. Talk about that Axe game and also preview the Big Ten Championship game with our Badger guys, Zach Heilprin, coming up at 530 and the Brewers. And the Brewers. We'll get we'll get to them before six o'clock as well. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Against Sports. You're listening to WKTY. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. We're talking Vikings after last night. They fell to the Seahawks 37 to 30. And I feel like I'm 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 giving the Vikings a little bit of a backhanded compliment. I thought they played great. Coaching, quarterback play, situational football, and they still lost. I don't know if they have a better game in them, especially playing in a place like Seattle. They're going to have to go on the road. Uh, We've been talking Vikings, talking about the Seahawks, and especially how they affect the Packers, right? Because that's what we care about. This is the Wisco Sports Show, after all. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for being here. If you want to reach out, you want to talk Packers, you want to talk NFC, you can join me, 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. As I said before the break, uh, after last night, the the playoff picture really starts to come into focus. Really start to get a good look at it. The AFC is a little bit hairy. Look, we haven't been paying as much attention to the AFC because we don't have teams in the AFC. I'm just imagining most of our listeners are Packers fans. We get some Vikings fans, get some Bears fans, maybe Lions. I don't know. I don't think we have a lot of Houston Texans fans listening. Maybe I'm talking out of turn when I say that. I think the NFC is a fascinating conference. This is how it shakes out right now. Okay. Saints at the one. Seahawks two. The Niners are in the three spot. This is this is just seeding in terms of wins and losses. This isn't seeding necessarily. Right? This is wins and losses. Packers four. Vikings five. And then the Rams right behind. Now when you focus in on the divisions uh, and wild card versus division, it gets a little bit more... It gets a little bit more hairy, right? 
the loss last night by the Vikings means basically this for the Packers. They need to win out and beat Chicago, Detroit, and Washington, and they'll be favored in all those games. And if you do that, it doesn't really matter what happens at U.S. Bank Stadium on December 23rd, right? Because if you're able to take care of business outside of the Vikings, you'll be able to hold on to the division uh, and avoid playing on the road during Wild Card Weekend, right? That's what last night's meant. Now, the, the Seahawks side of it, putting the Vikings to the side for a sec, that changes everything. It completely flips the seeding on its head. In fact, the Niners go all the way from the one seed to the five seed with their loss yesterday and the Seahawks win tonight. Now the Saints are in the driver's seat at one. The Seahawks, who were a wild card team two days ago, are now in the two seed with a first round bye and home field advantage, assumedly until the NFC Championship game. The Packers are still in the middle at the three seed. The Cowboys at the four. And the Cowboys are six and six. But yet, they will be seated ahead of the 10-2 and two Niners and the 8-4 and four Vikings, who I believe are, are a better team than the Cowboys. And we saw that in head-to-head play. I don't think that's, a, I think that's an unfair conclusion to draw. Division versus wildcard, it makes a big difference. I, I think nobody is arguing that the Packers are better than San Fran, although they're seated as such. And I don't think anybody thinks the Cowboys are better than the Niners or the Vikings. But once again, it's seated as such because the division versus the wild card, right? It's a big priority to win your division and you are rewarded with winning your division in the playoff picture. I think these are the the best six teams in the NFC and I don't think it's particularly close. I think there is a big drop off outside of the Vikings. Then you go to the Rams and the Bears. I think the Vikings are a lot better than the Rams and a lot better than the Bears. Even though that's not the way it played out Vikings-Bears a couple months ago, right? I believe that game was at Soldier Field. These are the best six teams, and I think they're the right six teams. I don't think you can make an argument. Dude, Philly, the Eagles are, that's so pathetic. The, the Cowboys are, are begging to lose this division, and the Eagles lose to the Dolphins? The proud Super Bowl champs from two years ago, led by who would have been an MVP, Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson, lose to the Dolphins? I, I'm done with the Eagles. Tampa Bay's at five and seven. Eh. Detroit, I, I think, is okay if they're healthy. But they're 3-8, and eight, and, and then you get down into the Atlantas, the Washingtons, and the New Yorks, and those teams are all terrible. I think the six teams right now in the playoff picture are going to be the 16 teams uh, in there when the postseason starts, and I think they're the best six teams. Now, the order, that's where it gets a little bit hairy. Now, the Niners and the Saints, currently the one and the five seed, they play this weekend. They play this weekend. And I'm trying to figure out the Saints. I'm trying to figure out the Niners. The Niners are going through a, a very difficult part of their schedule right now where they had to play the Packers. They just played the Ravens, and now they're going to play the Saints. And they're going to do it in New Orleans. I'm looking at the Saints' schedule, and I'm trying to decide whether I buy them as a one seed or not. Their best wins are at home against the Texans. Now, they did win in Seattle. That was with Teddy Bridgewater, remember? They beat the Cowboys at home. Only 12 to 10, which now looks a little bit less impressive. They won at the Bears. Eh, and that's about it. They got wins over the Cardinals, the Buccaneers, the Panthers, the Falcons, the Buccaneers again. Got killed by the Rams. Got killed by the Falcons. I don't know if I buy the Saints as a one seed. If they're playing in New Orleans, I think they can beat anybody. And they will be playing against the Niners in New Orleans this weekend. I don't know. I don't know how these two teams stack up against each other because the Niners are going through actual elite opponents now for the first time in their entire season. And the Saints, yeah, they beat the Texans at home opening weekend, and that's nice, but that was months ago. 
And you beat the Seahawks in Seattle, which can't be understated, but that was months ago, and that was with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. And ever since then, the Cowboys, the Bucks, the Jags, the Bears, the Cardinals, the Buccaneers again, the Falcons, the Panthers, who just fired their head coach. Look, you can only play who you're scheduled to play. And for the most part, NFC teams have pretty similar schedules. But with that schedule, I don't know if the Saints are who we think they are. I don't I don't know if Drew Brees, look at what happened, what's happening to Tom Brady. As the season gets a little bit more cold, a few more games under your belt, Tom Brady's starting to wear down a little bit. Drew Brees is up there. I, I'm not doubting the Saints. I'm fascinated to see how this game goes this Sunday. Because I think the Niners could blow them out. I think the Saints could blow them out. But the result of Niners-Saints this Sunday, and it's a noon game, I think that's going to teach us so, so much about the top of the NFC. And it could flip seating again, right? Think about that. The Niners and the Saints play this weekend. The Seahawks, who just beat the Vikings last night, at home, I think they took Minnesota's best punch. They have to play the Rams, and then they got the Niners again in three weeks. The seeding in the NFC could flip and flop and swap so many times the last couple of weeks. I I don't think the teams are going to swap. I think this is going to be these six teams. Saints, Seahawks, Packers, Cowboys, Niners, Vikings, Rams. Scratch the Rams. (laughs) Stop at the Vikings. Rams would be the next team in, right? I think those are your best six teams. And the seeding could switch. If the Saints lose, well, they're going to be out of the one seed. And if Seattle and, and, and the 49ers have a meaningful game in Week 17, then the seeding couldn't be decided until the final hour. Weirdly enough, I think the one team that's really got things figured out is the Cowboys. Win the division, clinch the division with a week or two to go, and hell, you can rest players in Week 17 because the Cowboys aren't improving their seeding. Right? They're going to be the four seed. They're going to be the four. They're going to be a division champ, and they're going to get a home game, but they're going to be the worst of those four division champs because they're six and six. Right? I'm not sure that I buy the Saints as the one seed. I, I I would love to see more from the Niners, although they hung in there with the Ravens this last week. I, I think the next couple of weeks are going to tell us a lot. It's fascinating following the conversation about the 6-6 six and six Cowboys and now the 5-7 and seven Eagles. Uh, the people who are said, just don't let an NFC East team into the playoffs. They don't deserve it, right? This is why we need to restructure the playoffs. This is why we need to fix it. Man, I think it's funny. I think it's fun. Because the Packers have benefited from it. Right, the Vikings have benefited from it in a year where the division is down. Yeah, a nine and seven team has a shot at the playoffs, and it happens every once in a while. It doesn't happen every year. We do the same thing in the the NBA when one conference is so overwhelmingly better than the other. We just need to take the top sixteen teams. Forget conferences, right? Let's let's reseed the whole thing when the playoffs start. Ugh, calm down. All right, these things ebb and flow; they go through cycles. I, I feel the same way about this. I've seen a lot on Twitter and, and on you know talk shows, TV shows about how to fix the NFL playoff structure. I don't think it needs fixing. I think it's fascinating. I think there's so much urgency for the 49ers to keep winning so they can win their division and not play on the road in week one in that wild card weekend of the playoffs, right? I think there's so much urgency for the Seahawks to keep winning so they stay as division champs and as a one or a two seed, not falling down into into that lower half of the bracket and playing on the road in wild card weekend. The Vikings are 8-4, and four and they look fast, talented, athletic, well-coached. They were composed last night, and they're going to be playing on the road as the sixth seed. I don't, I, that's entertaining to me, right? Prioritizing the division 
over everything else makes urgency for teams like Seattle and Minnesota and Green Bay and San Francisco. Yeah, so what? The Cowboys are an entertaining story. Is it really the end of the world in the playoffs? Here, 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 here. Let's do it this way. All right, take the Cowboys out. What's the other team you want in the playoffs? What team is being jobbed out of a playoff berth because the Cowboys are in there? The Rams? They're 7-5, and five and they look like they are a dying star. That the genius card is wearing off McVay, and Goff is overpaid, and, and Todd Gurley is overpaid, and they're about to need to pay uh, Jalen Ramsey, right? And, and, um, and, and Brandon Cooks has a concussion issue. You want that team in the playoffs? You want the you telling me you want the Chicago Bears in the playoffs? Mitchell Trubisky and Matt Nagy, who everybody wanted Matt Nagy fired three weeks ago, and now you're saying, oh my god, they should be in the playoffs over the Cowboys? Tampa Bay? You want Tampa Bay in there? Calm down. Calm down. There's no elite team getting jobbed out of a playoff spot. Now, seating, you want to make that argument, you can. I think the seating is fun. Right? I think it, it promotes urgency, and, and it promotes a necessity of winning every single weekend. Because you don't want to fall into that, that bottom half of the bracket. Calm down. The Cowboys will be fun. It, it's fun. The playoff picture is fine. The playoff system is fine. Uh, we got to talk Badgers. I actually think the biggest story of this week is not the Vikings or the Packers, but it's what the Gophers and Badgers did on Saturday. I want to talk about that game and preview the Big Ten Championship game coming up on Saturday in Indianapolis against Ohio State. No better man for it than Zach Heilprin, a uh, sports resort, uh, sports director and reporter at The Zone, our sister station in Madison. We're going to talk to him about all of that coming up next. We're also going to get to the Brewers and uh, <laughs> and what they've been up to the last 24 hours. Uh, that'll be up at 545. We'll talk to Zach, talk Badgers, talk Gophers coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for being here. Thanks for hanging out. We're talking a little bit of NFC, what the Vikings loss and the Seahawks win uh, meant last night for the Packers and and the rest of the playoff picture. And we're no doubt going to continue to talk about this week, but in the weeks to come is is the seeding and exactly the layout of the NFC playoffs is going to be fascinating as teams slide up and down. So we're going to continue that conversation. We're going to talk Brewers coming up here in about 10 or 15 minutes as well. They have had an an active last couple of days or, or a passive last couple of days, so we're going to get there, too. I think the biggest story this week is the Badgers' gopher game that went down on Saturday for the Axe, the Badgers winning 38-17, uh, and, and no better guy to break it down than Zach Heilprin uh, from our sister station, The Zone in Madison. He joins us now on the Five Star Telecom talking text line. Zach, here was my take on, on Monday. I wasn't surprised that the Badgers won. I think this is definitely a game you, you probably could have seen going both ways. I was surprised that the Badgers beat them as bad as they did. What was your, your gut reaction right as that game wrapped up on Saturday? Yeah, I had no expectation of them doing what they did on Saturday. That was a surprise, especially with how well Minnesota had been, you know, playing uh, and throwing the ball around all over the place. And Wisconsin secondary had really struggled in, in those few weeks. So I was expecting, I was expecting a high-scoring game, and you know, Wisconsin's offense got it going in the passing game and running game. You know, not great, but the passing game stepped up, and the defense, you know, played uh, probably their best game. In, you know, in well over a month. And that, to me, was the biggest surprise. I think that was the biggest takeaway, that they just shut down Minnesota. And maybe the weather had a little bit to do with it, but both sides had to play in it and didn't seem to bother Jack Cohn too much. But, yeah, it was it was the fact that defense really um, stood up and Jim Leonard had a great game plan, and they executed it almost perfectly. Well, I think the coaching on both sides was tremendous. It was really interesting, talking about surprises, I talked myself into thinking the Badgers had a shot at winning because the Gophers had looked so much better and the Badgers looked like they were trending down. 
I would have bet on the Gophers, but I talked myself into the Badgers having a shot because I'm like, well, the weather's going to be bad, right? It's going to be sloppy. The Badgers can run the ball. I think the Gophers' strength is the passing game. And, of course, it didn't shake out like that. The Badgers throw the ball all over the yard. Quintus Sivas has a huge day. And Jonathan Taylor is is relatively quiet. Talking about coaching, I don't know what it is. Paul Chris and Joe Rudolph, in big games, they just pull stuff out of the bag. It happened in Michigan. It's happened in bowl games. I mean, the the, the reverse on the kickoff and the Kendrick Pryor sweep, they just seem to... to have a feel for the game, calling plays at the right time. What did you think of the offense kind of waking up and really putting on a show on Saturday? How did that come to be? Yeah, I think the point about the fact that they were calling them at the right time, I mean, they, that's, that was everything. Uh, they, they were one step ahead of Minnesota. It seemed like pretty much from, I don't know, maybe the third drive on, uh, they, every time Minnesota came with a pressure, they were running the screen. And every time... You know, Minnesota was was playing a certain coverage. Wisconsin had the beater on it. And it, it's kind of funny because we have talked uh, down here a lot about the fact that Wisconsin got schemed up so many times defensively this year. Ohio State, you know, Illinois, uh, Purdue, they had really gotten schemed up until, uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And for Wisconsin's offense to do that this time, it was kind of reversed there. I mean, they uh, Paul Christ and Joe Rudolph and that entire offensive staff coached circles around Minnesota on Saturday. You know, I mean, it wasn't really particularly close. And, you know, as I said before, a little bit of a surprise. But, you know, defensively, too, they got after Tanner Morgan and they pressured him, got five sacks. And, you know, it's a good thing that they allowed him, the, the officials allowed them to play, you know, a little bit of uh, physical on the outside. Yeah. I'm sure other officials may not have. Uh, but that certainly played into Wisconsin's favor as well. And it was just a complete effort. And you mentioned the special teams, too. It was just a complete effort. You know, both players and coaching, it was um, it was their best effort probably since the Michigan game. Well, Zach, and and I remember back before the Illinois game, before they had lost. So the Badgers had, had run off all those wins, and, and I started to peek ahead and say, okay, they have these games coming up and, and trying to map out how the Badgers get to the Big Ten Championship game. And this was before they lost to Illinois. I said, look, I don't know if they're going to beat Ohio State. I don't know if they're going to beat, you know, Iowa. I don't know how all these games are going to go out. But I said, look, and, and I told my listeners, we had conversations about this. I said, I'm not a betting man, but bet all the money in the world on the Badgers to beat the Gophers the final week of the year, no matter what the records are, no matter what, because I I think, and and you'll be able to speak to this more than me, I think the Badgers players and those coaches, they were sick to their stomach and morally offended that that axe was not in Madison. Like, I I don't know if, as fans, we can necessarily understand how big of a deal that is to them. Am I on base? Because I'm not down there. I'm not on the team. You're obviously a lot closer to that. Am I in the right mindset about the axe and about this rivalry there and how much it means? Yeah, no, definitely. I think they needed a reminder after last year where they kind of didn't even show up. And um, I know in talking to some former players that they were embarrassed at the effort that they showed in that game last year. And so pretty much the entire off season, from winter conditioning to spring ball, summer conditioning, fall camp, you know, all the way up to the lead up to the beginning of the season, there was a picture of Minnesota celebrating where the axe usually stays yeah. in their locker room. There's a big, they got a big trophy case, and the axe goes right there. And they showed it on the broadcast a bunch of times the other day. But yeah, they were they were jacked up, and and we didn't, uh, you know, we figured they just wanted the axe just because it's the axe, and they hadn't had it for a long time. Chris Orr came out afterwards, and he was asked because after the game they usually chop the goalpost, and that's it, right? Chop chop one goalpost, run back down to the other one, chop it, and that's that's and then you go in the locker room. Yeah. But on the way to the goalpost the second time, they went from one goalpost to the other. Chris Orr stopped at the fifty yard line and started using the axe as a row or as an oar, I guess. And uh, started just, and the entire team around him was saying, you know, chanting, oh, uh, row, 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 in a shot towards PJ Fleck and row the boat. 
And he was asked about it after the game, why it was like that. And he said they felt like P.J. and company disrespected the Axe. Not so much in how they celebrated last year, that everyone gets to do what they want with it on the field. That's fine. Yeah. But it was the idea that they used it to, uh, and I don't have all the facts here, but this is Chris saying it, you know, renting it out, putting it out there for people to come and, you know, have with them. It was, you know, it's kind of like, he said it, it shouldn't be used as a commodity. And they felt it was disrespectful to do that. And it was just a little added motivation on top of it. So, I mean, yes, the axe was everything. Obviously, the Big Ten West was huge, but I never saw the Big Ten West trophy the other night. Uh, the only the only trophy I saw the other night was the uh, was the axe, and I think that kind of served as the Big Ten trophy for or the Big Ten West trophy for Wisconsin. Yeah, well, don't forget Minnesota; they're Big Ten West co champs, aren't they? Isn't that what PJ Fleck had to say after? Can't the wait game? To see, yeah, can't wait to see that on the facade <laughs> at TCF Bank Stadium. Co champs, twenty nineteen. So <laughs> pathetic. Hang hang the banner. I just I had to get a little jab in it. PJ Fleck, Zach Hyopern joining us from the zone. Uh, in Madison, Zach, this is a little bit of a selfish question, and I remember a couple, maybe this was last year I asked you about this, but I, I'm from Menominee, I was high school classmates with Mason Stocky. he is a part of this team now, he is a part of this offense the last couple of weeks, so I wanted to ask you, why have they gone away from Chanel or some of the other options and, and gone towards Stocky, and, and they look like a little bit better offense, he made a couple of plays the other night, and I said, he's like he's making plays, like they're making him a part of things, what's going on there? Well, I mean, Wisconsin has used the fullback. They've used him pretty good, pretty much the you know pretty much the entire year. He went through a little bit of an injury where he missed some time, um, and you know he was able to have had to round back into it. But yeah, Wisconsin uses the fullback not just in carrying the ball, but even as deception a little bit because we saw on uh, on the Cephas touchdown, the long one, the forty-seven yarder, they motioned Stocky out into the uh, out to the far left, and it completely threw Minnesota's defense off. It forced the corner over a little bit, forced the safety over a little bit. The linebackers were talking right as the snap happened, and they were off, they were caught flat-footed. Um, I, you know, sometimes it's sometimes they use him as a decoy. Sometimes they use him to get the matchup they want. Um, it it's it's a great um, it's a great position for that type of stuff because you don't so few teams use it now that having to get prepared for it and having to watch it is just uh, foreign, almost, as opposed to, you know, the mid-'90s where everyone had one. Yeah. It's just so foreign for so many teams to have to deal with it. And, you know, I, I think Mason's been good. I think John uh, has gotten his, you know, some opportunities as well. But that's a one-two-headed uh, monster, and it, it's worked so far. Or yeah. worked, has, it has worked well, I should say. Yeah, I think it's an interesting way to, to think about it as, as a fullback, as much as a ball carrier and a blocker, but as a tool to manipulate and move the defense as well. That's something I'm going to think about and, and watch moving forward as well. Uh, we do have to talk about Saturday. My my first uh, thought after the game is I had to text one of my friends who I have watched all three of the Badgers Big Ten Championship games. It was three of the last four years while I've been here at UWL, and none, like, none of them have gone well, right? Like None of them have been fun. Even the Badgers have been up or they've been housed by Ohio State. It's like, well, we get to do this one more time. Um, look, the, the Ohio State is favored, and, and I don't think I'm being a hater of the Badgers when I say like I wouldn't pick them to win. It's not because I, I don't think the Badgers are good. I just think Ohio State is really good. Like that, that could be the best team in the country, and that could be the best Ohio State team I've seen during my lifetime. Like, what are your thoughts going into Saturday? I know it's a, it's a, it's interesting. What's the spread? I haven't even looked. Is, is it somewhere 14, 17 points, something like that? It's, it's a tough concept yeah, to try to, it's, to deal it's with. It's gone up and down. It's been like 16 and a half, 17 points. Yeah. It's their biggest, no matter what it ends up in, I guess if it stays above 16, it'll be the, the biggest deficit they've, or as I said, the biggest underdog they've been. In 1996, so this is uh, pretty uh, historic in that sense. But 
for me personally, I don't see how they win that game. Uh, now, Justin Fields apparently is dinged up. He's going to have to wear a, a huge brace on his knee and may make him less mobile, maybe make him a little bit slower, which is good if you're for Wisconsin because you don't, maybe don't have to worry about the read option nearly as much if he was healthy. Yeah. Um, so that maybe will help. And they got after him the first time. They had five sacks against him the first time. And I, I would imagine that they'll be able to get to him again this time. It's For me personally, it's all about J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins dominated them in the 2017 game, dominated them this year already. That's the guy that you have to stop, and um, they haven't been able to do it. But even, here's the thing about Ohio State. In past years, maybe this is different, but right now, okay, you stop their offense, great. How the heck do you score? Like, yeah. how, do, how does Wisconsin figure out a way to, to slow Chase Young, which I'm sure uh, Badger fans will have him running through their nightmares forever because he was just so dominant in that first game. Um, how, do you, how do you keep them off balance? And Wisconsin's done some stuff to keep teams off balance here these last few weeks with you know a lot of those jet sweeps and the reverses and uh, you know a lot of guy, getting guys' eyes trying to move sideways, trying to get them you know confused and that type of stuff. Yeah, I think they have to do that, but it's all going to come down. They have to have a better plan for Chase Young than they did last time because I don't. If they had one, I didn't. I didn't see it. Yeah, I was going to say I'm not sure they had a plan for Chase Young. He, he you can't allow the oh, other well, teams. Here's, Go ahead. Here's the thing: if if your plan if your plan Includes Jake Ferguson blocking him one on one. Your plan sucks. Don't that, the, put you know ball that plan up and throw it in the trash and never uh, see it again because that cannot happen. Yeah, that's that's just not going to get the job done against what might be a number one overall pick. It probably depend on on which team actually takes that first overall pick. But he is that good, and they have great corners. I don't know how they're going to score. I don't know how they're going to keep Ohio State out of the end zone. But I know. Uh, that I'm ready to be hurt again, most likely, it seems, upcoming this Saturday night. So thanks, Zach. Are, are you going to need to cover the game? I am. Well, safe travels. Enjoy the game. Maybe you'll see just something historic. You never know. But I uh, hope to talk to you uh, or maybe around the bowl game, and your roundtable show is going to be this Friday, too. So we look forward to that. Have a good one, Zach. Thanks again. All right, Grant. Thank you. Yeah, Zach Heilprin from our sister station, The Zone, in Madison. He is everywhere. He knows everything, and I, and I do like talking to him because I, I normally learn a thing or two, right? I, I learn, like, think of that. Think of the fullback as a tool to manipulate the defense, to get guys moving, looking sideways, like he said. I always learn something talking to Zach, and, and you should follow him on Twitter, at Zach Heilprin, because he is always, always tweeting out contact, whether he's covering the Badgers, the Packers, the Brewers, it doesn't matter. Uh, he is everywhere, and you should follow him on Twitter as well. When we come back, speaking of the Brewers, they have had a fairly passive start to their offseason, and I was mad yesterday, and, and like I'm not mad today, but it's gotten worse. Uh, I'll tell you what I mean coming up next uh, as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for being here. Thanks for hanging out. We talked Vikings today. We talked Badgers with Zach Heilprin. If you're just tuning in, check out the podcast at WKTYsports.com, and you can find it on our mobile app as well, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Catch up on what you missed. I think the biggest Wisconsin sports stories of the week, they probably go in this order. Badgers Gophers and the Badgers winning the axe on Saturday. That's number one, because I, I, I was surprised that it was that result. I guess I wasn't surprised that they won. That that the, the importance of that win can't be overstated. That's number one. I think number two is probably the Vikings losing, not the Packers winning. I think we all expected that. And then the Brewers have to be right there. They have had one of the most passive starts to the offseason. Right? The opposite of active. They haven't been making moves. They've been choosing not to make moves. All right, and we've talked about this a couple of times. Every time they've made a move, I've, I've tried to sum it up and say, hey, uh, yeah, this isn't good. Uh, this ain't great. 
Pay attention to this. This is this is important. So I, I was mad when they let Yasmani Grandal go. All right, okay. You can't sign everyone. I, I get it. I would have loved to have him back. I, I think he was the Brewers' second or third best player last year. A tough, tough to lose that guy. Okay. Then they traded Zach Davies and Trent Grisham for their prospects. They're prospects who are far along in the process, but they're still prospects, right? And you need a you need a third outfielder, and you need starting pitching. So that doesn't exactly help you in either department. You let Pomeranz go, even though he was arguably your best pitcher, not just your best reliever down the stretch last year, at least up there with Brandon Woodruff. Since then, they let Mike Moustakis go. He has signed in Cincinnati for a ton of money. And last night, the Brewers had their tender deadline, right? Meaning they got to make decisions on guys. They either have to come to deals or, 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 or give them money or they leave, right? And baseball is complicated, but that's, that's essentially what it comes down to. They're making a choice to either pay these guys or let them walk. It's almost like restricted free agency. Last night, the Brewers let a crew go. They let Travis Shaw go. Chase Anderson, Junior Guerra, Alex Claudio, Jimmy Nelson, and Tyler Saladino. Now, now gone, if you're keeping track, from, from the 2019 roster, they've lost Yasmani Grandal, Mike Moustakis, Drew Pomerantz, Travis Shaw, Chase Anderson, Zach Davies, Junior Guerra, Alex Claudio, Jimmy Nelson, Tyler Saladino. That's 10 players. And some of them are more important than others. But I think most of our thought logic was, okay, you let Mike Moustakis go, all right, Travis Shaw must be the guy. Nope, not paying him either. <laughs> okay. You let you let Pomerantz go. Okay, obviously Alex Claudio is going to be a big part of things next year. No, we're not going to pay him either. Yeah, well, Tyler Saladino, he's a good infield piece. You can find it. No, we're going to let him go too. That's 10 guys who are gone. They're just gone off the roster. Now, mostly for financial reasons. right? The Brewers can't pay everyone, I understand. But you, also, you can't pay no one. Good Lord. Right now, right now, they are a below 500 football team. Baseball team. Football on the brand today. They're a below 500 team. I thought when they lost Yasmani Grandal, that, that lowered them to about a 500 team. Right now, they're, they're, not a, they're not a good team. They're Christian Yelich, Brandon Woodruff, and Josh Hader. And I like Lorenzo Cain. We'll see if he continues to you know get over the hill rather than return to his all-star form. And I like Ryan Braun, but he's always hurt. Needs time off. Needs to rest. He's not an everyday player anymore. I like him, but he's not an everyday player anymore. Think of all the holes. They started this offseason needing to figure out third base, first base, and starting pitching. They now need to figure out third, first, starting pitching, relief pitching, and catcher. Last night, and Travis Shaw not returning to the team didn't make a whole lot of sense. I think we all thought that was a lock because they let Mike Moustakis go. You need a third baseman. But they let Travis Shaw go. The, 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 the move that's going to fly under the radar or the, the, the non-tendering that's going to fly under the radar is Junior Guerra, but really Alex Claudio. You might think, okay, well, he's not your closer. He's not Josh Hader. Corey Knable's coming back. Yeah, okay, bear with me for a sec. Alex Claudio was so important to the Brewers last year. He shouldered so much work for the Brewers last year. To try to put it into perspective, last year, Alex Claudio played in 83 games. He pitched 62 innings. 83 appearances. Let's focus on that. Josh Hader... To put that into perspective, Josh Hader last year pitched in 61. 61. That's 23 more appearances for Alex Claudio than your best reliever, Josh Hader. Think of the workload. Think of the innings he 
ate up. Think of the outs he got. And by the way, what's Craig Council's thing? What's David Stern's thing? We don't need pitchers. We need outgetters. Yeah, well, Claudio got you a lot of outs. And he did it on back-to-back days. He did three out of four days. He pitched in 83 games. He's a workhorse. He fits perfectly for this Brewers team, and you let him go. Junior Guerra, you let him go, too. He's a guy who can close games. He can start games. He can pitch anywhere in between. He's the perfect pitcher for what Craig Council and David Stearns have been trying to do. He's an outgetter. Right? He eats innings. It's what he does. No, thanks. We don't want to pay him. Okay, 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 okay. I keep thinking back to, to two off-seasons ago when David Stearns, in a matter of hours, signed Lorenzo Cain and traded for Christian Yelich. It can happen that fast. It can happen very quickly. But to be completely honest, the Brewers now have gaping holes at third base, first base, starting pitching, relief pitching, and at catcher. Who's your third outfielder? Uh, Ryan Braun? If it is Ryan Braun, you need a solid number two for that spot. And I, they, they brought Ben Gamble back. but I like Ben Gamble. But where are your elite players on this team? They're also hearing trade talks for Josh Hader, and they're getting offers for Keston Hira. And I don't think they're going to trade Keston Hira. It's not bad that people are trying to field offers for Keston Hira, but, but nonetheless, they're completely overhauling this team. They went into this offseason with needs, with, with positions they needed to fix, and they've created more and more and more and more. Let Guerra and Claudio go. Do you know how many innings that is? Do you know how much work throughout the course of a long baseball season that is? You let Chase Anderson and Zach Davies go too, and you're trying to just solidify that starting rotation, solidify your bullpen. Those are two solid options. Letting Jimmy Nelson go, I understand. Drew Pomerantz didn't want to pay him, didn't want to pay Grandal, didn't want to pay Moustakis. You couldn't at least keep Travis Shaw around? They better have some big things planned. They better be talking to some frontline starting pitchers, some frontline free agents at catcher and at middle infield and at quarter infield. Because if not, the, the, David, do you understand what David Stearns is doing? If they don't have big things planned, David Stearns basically just said, yeah, our time's done. Our time's over. It was fun for two guys. It was, it was really fun. It was great to, to make the NLCS and the All-Star Game. We'll tell our kids about it one day. We'll, we'll do t-shirts and we'll do theme nights where we have a Christian Yelich bobblehead and a Lorenzo Cain bobblehead in 30 years. It was fun. It was great. But no, it's time to, it's time to stop spending money. But Grant, the Brewers are spending more money last year and the year before than they ever have. So what? It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And they let a huge portion of their innings out of the bullpen go. They let go their first third base option and their second base option. They lost a good starting pitcher from last year in Zach Davies. What am I missing here? David Stern's better be on the phone right now. Like, this team is bad. This is not a good team right now. It's not a good team right now. Is currently constructed. They have a great manager and they have an MVP. That's about it. That's about it. We'll continue to talk about it tomorrow. Be back here on the Wisco Sports Show. Same time, same place. Talk to you then.